Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 556, with Chef Jason Boso. Every restaurant tour will get into this trouble, and it, it boils down to as simple as this. The money will always think they made you. Whether it doesn't matter if it's your ideas, your everything you created, they will think you wouldn't have got there without their money. And therefore they will think that they own you and you will get in a fight with them. I mean, I can come up with ten ideas that have happened in I mean, ten of these stories that have happened in Dallas in the last year. Um, you will fight with your money. So you have to get that intellectual property um, secured up front. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicsuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. Cashflow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future until now. Welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Jason Boso. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? I was really wanted to sound like droopy dog there and say... (laughs) I'm unstoppable. <laughs> well, I'm happy you're here, and I cannot wait to dive into your story. Chef Jason Boso and Quincy Hart met in culinary school after jobs in stock brokerage and telephone line repair. After paying their dues working the line at the Four Seasons in Papa Bros, Jason and Quincy finally opened Twisted Root Co. in the Deep Elm neighborhood of Dallas, Texas in 2006. While Twisted Root Co. has seen incredible growth, 19 locations in total. Jason and Quincy have stuck to their roots and their sense of humors using a hands-on approach to high quality fresh food in a casual atmosphere with tons of personality. Twisted Root was followed by Tacos and Avocados in 2012 in the Truck Yard in 2013 in the group's latest concept which, which just opened up this year Greenville Theater. All of these concepts operate under the Brainstorm Shelter Restaurant Group. I can't wait to find out how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us, Jason? Jump. Jump. I dig in and explain, dive into it. Why is it so? Why is jump the, the, the quote of the day or the mantra of the day? Man, I, someone helped me when I started in my entrepreneurial um, ways and 
I am always trying to help other people move forward. And they just have paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. They just can't get past certain things. And I'm always trying to convince them, you're never going to get it right in your head. It's never going to be right on paper. It's never going to be like you think it is. You just have to do it, man. And then you adjust from there. Absolutely, man. Great way to get this thing started. I think that's the hardest thing is just starting, right? But as soon as you start, as soon as you start building up that momentum, it, it all kind of gets easier from there. Uh, it's never fully easy. Easy, but it gets easier, right? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm waiting for that part where it gets easier. <laughs> well, I cannot wait to dive into how you got to where you are, but uh, let's just bring it back to where it all started. So when did you know you were going to uh, make this your career? You know, in college, I loved the restaurant industry, but my dad, you know, as I would talk to him about future careers, he would say, I would bring up this industry and he would say, you don't want to sling hash your whole life, Jason. And I didn't know what that meant, but it didn't sound good. So he really kind of steered me away from it. And I ended up selling stocks and bonds with Merrill Lynch for three years. Um, uh, and then I ended up doing advertising for two years. And I just hated it all. And I said, sorry, Dad, I'm going to do what seems passionate to me. And I... Threw everything down and went to culinary school. And so, what year was this when you made that switch and you decided to head down this path? Gosh, um, you opened in 2006. In 2006, correct. So, I think that was 2000 that I kind of threw all that out the window and went to culinary school. So, at this point, are you thinking to yourself, you want to work in restaurants or you want to own restaurants? From day one, I said, I want to create my own restaurant. Okay. But I didn't know what the hell I was doing, so I, I was I was stupid, but not stupid enough to think that I knew what I was doing, so I, I just had to start somewhere. I said, well, culinary school is a good place to start. Then what do I do? I try to learn from other smart people in the industry. I try to be involved in other businesses that are opening so I can see what they're doing right and probably more importantly, what they're doing wrong. Okay, so... Uh 2000, you go to culinary school. That's where you meet your future business partner, uh, Quincy Hart. Um, we're, like from then, at this point, did you guys know that it was going to be a partnership or how did that relationship grow? I want to answer that question, but before, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a restaurant guy and a, or a kitchen rat or, um, and so I curse a whole lot. Um, do, how, there is no filter, man. Okay. <laughs> Let loose. I do. I, if you drop an F on before me, I'll be surprised. <laughs> okay. Well, I already held back <laughs> once or twice there. I didn't know where, uh, I'm going to, well, can I take my pants off? Uh, if, if that makes you feel comfortable, man. You can. <laughs> uh, to answer your question, uh, how did Quincy and I kind of get together or what was that? That, um, yeah. So jump? you guys, um, you met in culinary school, right? Correct. Okay. So, um, I guess, did you guys know like back then that you were going to be partnering or when did, how did that relationship form? No, we didn't know we would be partnering. We met our first day of school and you know, I'm a class clown. He was a class clown. We hit it off, uh, from day one, our personalities just meshed. And it was interesting to me because I was a 20 something, you know, a suburban white boy and, and he was a 50 something, um, country black boy and it was interesting how well we meshed with such you know varying backgrounds um so we, we just became good friends is how we started okay 
So um, any key lessons, uh, experiences in culinary school that are worth kind of hovering over a little bit before moving on to your uh, working in restaurants, working for people opening restaurants and all that? I mean, the key lessons are, you know, everyone cooks at home and they, you know, make a great spaghetti and their cousin says, oh, my gosh, you should open a restaurant. It is nothing like cooking at home. Absolutely nothing. And if you're at home thinking my cookies are the best, keep it there. Don't listen to anyone that says you can open a restaurant. It, it becomes more of an assembly line and a business than it does uh, a chef, at least in my industry, which is the fast casual. Um, there are the elite chefs that get to do that fun stuff that you see on the Food Network. Um so I took away from school is this is hard work and this is a lot of planning and this is a lot of details and this is a lot of cleaning and fixing your own shit mm -hmm. and uh, building your own tables and uh, being there from morning, noon till night. It's it's not the getting to use tweezers and put. Uh, flowers so you, you got on that things. reality check when you were in culinary school, yeah. which is nice. Cause I feel like not a lot of people get that reality check. And yeah, school. I mean, a good point. Uh, I did have quite a few friends that I mean, I would say actually most of my friends I went through culinary school are no longer in this industry. Wow. Um, I might have adjusted a little quicker or had a, my eyes a little more uh, wide open. Or maybe it was because the fact that I entered culinary school Yep, bingo. Wanting to be a restaurant tour. Plus, you weren't a young kid. You weren't 18 years old. Yeah. You lived a little bit. That's like, right. You know, I think there's a lot to be said about there. I think 18 is too young to go to school in general, and especially culinary school, because I think we're so like puppy-eyed at that age, and we just have these false reality, like realities of what the industry is really like. Yeah, um, for sure. You are on the head there. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, um, you guys graduate. Uh, what's going through your mind? You have a, this degree in your pocket. What are you thinking? What's going? What's going on? I went to this particular culinary school. It was an art institute here in Dallas. And I went there because they had a class at the end of the school where you built your own restaurant business plan. And so I did that. And mine was what I'd hoped to be my real restaurant. And I, I, it was called Two Bubba's Barbecue. And, it, and at, this, at this point, I had knew that I wanted to go into business with Quincy. Okay, cool. And I had figured that out uh, and it wasn't because our personalities matched. It was because Quincy was the hardest working guy in the mm. school. He was the first guy at the dish pit and the last guy to leave the dish pit. And um, he was there every day early and there every day late. And uh, a teacher's pet while he was a class clown. So um, I knew I wanted to do something with this guy for his work ethic. Um, and so I, I came up with Two Bubba's Barbecue, um, which never obviously came to fruition. But that was the original. Idea. So when did you guys graduate? Was it 2000? Or that's when you went into school? That's when we went in. Uh, so it was 2002. Okay. Yeah. So basically four years went by from the time. No, two, two. Culinary school was two years, um, two and a half years around that. And that's because I already had a, a degree. So I did okay. the associates. Got you. It can be four, but the culinary part is really two. The rest would be your academics. So four years went by from the time that you graduated to the time that you opened uh, in 2006. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Okay. So, uh, what, what, so you had this, this, uh, business plan. Were you hoping to do that? Like when did that plan kind of, when did you realize that that wasn't going to happen? I started, I mean, I, I was already working in several restaurants and I started shopping that business plan with investors and locations wide right away. 
And I was just too green. I couldn't get any investors. And um, a couple of the locations I was interested in fell through or, you know, they didn't they didn't want to give a greenhorn like me a, an opportunity. So. so they weren't willing to invest in you at this time because you didn't have the track record. You didn't have the reputation. The You, you haven't proved that you can handle it yet. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So did they tell you this? Was this something that was like, were they giving you feedback as to why you weren't getting approved? Some people said it straight to my face. You know, why should I give my money to you? You don't know what the hell you're doing. I mean, you got a culinary degree. So what? Um, <laughs> it's true, though. I yeah. Mean, like until you've done it, until you've lived it. I don't even know if you fully you fully understand whether or not you're willing. Right. Uh, because once you get into it and you live it and you see what it takes you might have some different perspectives. So after like a few years of going to work for other people, did your opinion change at all? I'm curious. No, I was still a cocky <laughs> son of a bitch and I thought I could do it from day one. And, uh, sure. I, I did learn more and, uh, um, but I still thought I could have done it four years ago. So you collected this data, you got the feedback from these potential investors. Uh, what was your plan of action? Realizing that you're going to need to get some experience before finally doing this i find the restaurants that were just opening find some people that i um trusted or respected and go work for them so why was it important that they were just opening because i wanted to see you know coming into a well-oiled machine seemed uh there wasn't much to learn there um you maybe i learned some management but the process of going from Hey, can I have some money to open a restaurant to serving your first hamburger was a giant question mark to me. That's not something that you got a lot of experience in culinary school doing. So I knew I wanted to see it um, firsthand. So when you were taking these jobs to learn, what character, like what were you looking for in an employer? Um, I, you know, I didn't really care too much about the employer. I mean, if he was an idiot, at least I would learn, then, you know, not what to, I mean, what not to do. <laughs> yeah. Sounded like Yoda there. Not what to do. Um, so it wasn't, it was, it was just about the availability and who was doing something cool. Okay. So did you find anybody that was doing something cool? And did you find somebody who did teach you some good stuff? Not really. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, that's a little bit true and a little bit not true. Um, my biggest mentor um, was a guy named Jeff Powell. And if you're listening, Jeff, love you, man. Let's go have a beer soon. Um, Jeff Powell is the uh, owner, operator, brand creator of, um, oh, my gosh, Jeff, I'm sorry, uh, Razoo's okay. uh, here based in Dallas. And this guy, I actually picked up the phone and called 20 restaurant tours who were busy opening new places and a lot of them said, I'm too busy for you, kid. Leave me alone. And not Jeff Powell. He was like, hey, come on down. So uh, wait, what did that conversation look like when you reached out to him? Well, he said, when I finally got to him, you know, through the right channels, he said, hey, I'm in the restaurant uh, now uh, over in, in Addison. You want to come see me? I said, shit, I'm going to school right now. But after class, he said, I'll still be here. And I went down there and he walked me through the kitchen. He told me, this is how it starts. This is why, you know, we're doing this over here and not this over here. And look at all this space out here in this restaurant. I took too much space in this restaurant and he just, I just soaked it up, man. He was awesome. Take, what, what, what did you learn in that moment? Having somebody that was willing to walk you through and to teach you these things. 
that even a guy who had been doing it, um, I think at that time he might have been on his seventh or eighth restaurant, was still figuring it out um, and was still in those restaurants. Um, a lot of people think you open a restaurant, two restaurants, three restaurants, and you're sitting on the beach um, your whole life, the rest <laughs> of your life, and that ain't true. Nope, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, so did you go to work for this guy eventually? Is, is that what happened? No, I didn't. Um, I ended up at the Four Seasons uh, at, at after a couple stints and, and a couple openings and, and other jobs. And I really liked that job both for the money because it helped me pay my bills. Um, but there was a couple people I really respected there that I was learning from. So I just kept in touch with Jeff, uh, would have beers with him and ask him questions. I mean, he was such a great resource for me. So you just reached out to him just to start the conversation. You didn't have any intention to go work for him. You just wanted to have somebody to talk and shoot I, the shit with. I didn't know how what would turn out. I just started calling these guys. And just asking him questions. I mean, and Jeff was the biggest resource and the guy that would pick up his phone. It's amazing to me how many people how many people don't do that though. Shocks me. Because there people who are truly passionate about this industry and successful, I've found tend to be the ones that are most willing to share their knowledge. Yeah. Um and you never know what kind of opportunities you're gonna create for yourself by just starting the conversation, right? Yeah. Um nothing came from this relationship as far as partnerships, but um, you, what was the biggest thing you learned from him? Well, I'm still learning from yeah. him. I mean, he's just opened a fast, casual place called Tricky Fish. And we, you know, he's actually learned, I would say a little bit, you know, from me now, the mentor may have come a little bit of the teacher since I was in the fast, casual before he was, but now he's doing a great job in the fast, casual industry. And we're sharing numbers and locations. And but that's a great point too. Like when you open yourself up to other people, they in return open themselves up to you and you never know who you're talking to, who this person might become and what kind of asset they might become to you. Yeah. Great, so, great point. Uh, keep going. I, you know, I wanted to touch on your point, which was how few people pick up the phone and try and learn yeah. from people who have done it before. Um, I'm willing to answer that phone and I, it, it almost astounds me how, much people are in love with their own idea and how they almost not almost how they don't want to hear from me or another restaurant tour because it may break their idea um, <laughs> or they may hear something they don't want to hear. And that's exactly what they should be doing. And Jeff told me some things that I, I you know, maybe perturbed me at the time, but I knew I had to do absorb them and into my thought process. So you were going to him with the idea of doing the barbecue joint. Did he turn you off that course? He did. Why? <laughs> um, because he told me how difficult it was at his, uh, him and his partner's um, barbecue joint. Golly, what's the name of it? The one with the scantily clad girls in it. Oh, don't, oh. don't look at me. I'm new to the area. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, he told me how difficult that was and how much the overnight process in, in maintaining this many pounds of brisket. And I thought, well, I need, I want to sleep some. So, uh, I changed my idea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a perfect example of why it takes why it's worth taking the time to go talk to people because you don't consider everything. And you have these people who've lived it, who can take one quick look 
from a different perspective and go, did you think about this? Mm-hmm. And I bet you never even considered the, lo- the late nights. I didn't. No. Which, like, yeah, yeah right? Of course. Like, you know, 14 <laughs> hours to smoke exactly, a brisket. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get up at four in the morning to <laughs> go poke a brisket and check on, <laughs> so on the bark. Let's bring it back to the Four Seasons because you said you took this job because of a lot of people you respected. So who was it there that you respected? Who, who drew you in? Uh, well, first, it was James Tidwell, uh, Master Sommelier. He also has a culinary degree and is very entrepreneurial. He started Texom here, at, uh, at which was about, I don't know, sorry, James, 10 years ago or so. And it is now the second largest uh, sommelier or wine nerd or cork dork, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> conference in America. Um, and he is by far one of the top respected sommeliers in the world. So aside from his uh, wine knowledge and his ability to be a sommelier, what was it that drew you to him? His just passion. I mean, if you're going to go that far in the wine industry, you have passion for, for probably not only that, but for other things. So the restaurant world making, you know, the perfect pate. Um, so it was just fun for us to have some wine and tequila occasionally and just talk about the industry and what was missing and what was great and who was doing things. So you were back of house, right? At the four seasons. I did actually four different positions. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, I started in back of the house with my externship and, uh, and then did a little uh, stint in the pastry kitchen and then work with James. So, uh, got my first level of Psalm, uh, from him and, uh, ended up doing a little front of the house stuff. Uh, with management so as that's, well. That's huge there. You have the culinary degree, but you also had the the mindset, the know all the the what's the word I'm looking for? The I don't know. The, the, you the, know what I'm trying the to full say. round uh, yeah, why knowledge. Why is it so important to get all aspects of the business? Well, I mean the, the customer you know sees the front of the house. Um you need to know what they see. Uh, they're talking to the people in the front of the house. You need to know how to talk to them. You need to know how to listen to them. Mm. Um, it's the back of the house. I might say, you know, even as a chef is only 40% of the business because 60% of it is perception up in the front and a uh, service. So you better know that if you're going to be a restaurateur, maybe not if you're going to stay in the back of the house all the time and take a salary. But if you want to open your own business, you better know the front of the house. So what exactly did you learn from this gentleman? I already forgot his name. Say it one uh, time. James Tidwell. James. What did you learn from James? Oh, gosh. I mean, um, you know, the dedication, the 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 picking a, 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 a particular idea and fleshing it out. I, I might say we use the word a lot. Identity. Find your identity um, of your restaurant and make sure that the customer understands that identity. We would see and complain so much about restaurants and restaurant tours who, you know, Jack's place. What is that? Um, and we, we would have to be pushed to go in there, but then there's some places you go by and just the name and the facade draw you in. Um, and you already know what you're going into, What's an example? Steel City Popsicles. You mean, I'm not always in the mood for a Popsicle, but when I am, I know where to go now. You know they're not serving steak there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So finding your identity, um, really dive into how how he taught you how to do that. 
Um, well, I, you, you know, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of like like I had mentioned earlier, I think a lot of the restaurant tours I talk to are too much in love with one thing, and that is giving them tunnel vision to to the potential issues or errors of that idea. So I was luckily never married to an idea. I was married to being a restaurant tour. So as soon as Jeff Powell pushed me off of barbecue, I started talking with James. What are the other niches in the market where someone's needed? And that also came with budgeting. You know, I had about $1,400 in my bank account and I thought I was rich at that time. Um, (laughs) So I obviously knew I couldn't open a steakhouse or anything fine dining. So I had to marry that with, you know, the opportunities in the industry. And uh, we kind of came up with there's a difference between a fast food burger and the next level of burger, which is typically in a steakhouse and costs 14 bucks. There wasn't what is now called the better burger segment. That didn't exist uh, in 2004, 2005. So he helped you identify a need, a, a niche that wasn't being met, or he even helped you create a niche, right? And I think that's one thing that's really cool, too. Sometimes we try to look around to see what opportunity there is, but we, you can literally create a market. Uh, if you get outside the box and you really think, like, like, like uh, the, the famous quote with uh, Ford, right? Like, if I gave the people what they wanted, they would have asked for faster ho- horses or whatever the, the quote is. Um, dive into why what you did is not maybe it's not always the best way but in this circumstance it was so uh, the question is i was all know, over the place <laughs> <laughs> why did i choose that niche or why did i think that was needed uh the, in the yeah, better i guess uh, what how did you know that this was going to be a good opportunity or a good a good path we certainly never know. You just have to have <laughs> the the stupid confidence to um, flesh it out and then agree with yourself and go for it. Mm-hmm. A bit of the jump part yeah. there. Um, and, and then confidence, too. You have to always know that I'm going to make it work. I'm going to hit hurdles or even brick walls, but I can chip that away and I can accomplish it because it's very easy to get um, – uh, distracted or discouraged discouraged was <laughs> yeah. the right word. Yeah. Um, so I picked better burger. I just thought there was a place where you were willing to spend two more dollars to get something better than fast food and maybe have a beer with it without breaking the bank. Um, there's lots of guys my age at the time might've been 32 that I think it was 32 when I opened, um, that you know were wearing their hats backward and had a little bit of money in their pocket but didn't want to go into a fancy place but were willing to upgrade their palate the next level above Taco Bell that we'd been eating in all of our 20s so james helped you discover this opportunity this uh this niche that wasn't being met you go back to your business partner quincy and you say hey what about burgers yeah, well, at the time, Quincy wasn't my business partner. He was uh, just my friend, and I had always thought I wanted to work with him. But did he know that he always wanted to work with him? Like, was this no, he didn't. Radar? Okay, no. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I would more make fun of him than I would tell him that I respected him. You know <laughs> how dumb guys do. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually put the business plan together, and he was the first guy I called. I go, man, this is what I think I'm going to do. I need some help. 
you know, and he showed up at my door the next day and we started working nice. on it. So what was the, the partnership looking like back then? Did you guys know how you're going to split it up? Like what did that look like? No, uh, we didn't know anything. Um, and you know, something that we should probably get into is what happened to that partnership. It got nasty and ugly, not between Quincy and I, but between our financial partners. Okay. Yeah. Let's definitely get into that. Um, so at the point we didn't know how we were dividing it up, but I'd asked, you know, a college buddy lawyer to put together a, a business plan for me. And, and I went out and, you know, the thing was probably like nine pages long. And I uh, went out and started passing it around, um, trying to get investments. And I've got one buddy who was a kind of a social butterfly. And, you know, once I got him on board, then he was out there talking about it. And then I started having people come to me and say, hey, so-and-so told me about this. Um, let's talk. And of course, I bought them a beer and dinner and convinced some of them to come on board with me. Wait, so let's let's backpedal a little bit. This the social butterfly friend of yours was he working for you with you, or no. were you just were you just planting the seeds to put it out into the universe? Just planting the seeds, putting it out in there in the universe. Okay. Um, uh, I had, like I said, put together that business plan, convinced, sold him on the idea, and so then, you know, it, it, you know the best. In, the, in our industry, the number one recommendation is peer-to-peer, -peer, right? No, no, nothing you see on TV, nothing on paper as, is as legitimate as someone telling you that something is great. So when I had this buddy telling people, hey, this business is great and the guy's great, I had got a, an instant amount of credibility. So what was it about this guy that gave you credibility? Because he was saying, like, who was he? What was his influence? Um, it, it wasn't that he had influence. It's just that he had connections to a large amount of people. So you went when you spoke to him and you sold him on this idea, you knew that you were planting the seed with him. And if you could sell him on it, he could sell other people on it. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and you, the way you boiled it down is how I would tell a young restaurateur, go find one or two of those evangelists for you. I still think we can paint a better picture as to who <laughs> this guy was and what made him so significant. What was it about him that made him so... How, why did you know he was going to be an asset to you? Um, well, he was just had a dynamic personality, that's all. And um, What did he do for work? Uh, he was in the advertising world. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, a lot of, he knew a lot of people. Yep. Interesting. So he sold your idea to other people. Now you started people have people come to you, investors? Uh, yeah. Well, he just introduced me to different people, and then I had to take it from there. Um, and, uh, yeah, one boiled into another, and I, one, I met another one, and then that one would introduce me to another friend. And eventually I ended up with six investors for the first restaurant. So from the time you reached out to Quincy and said, Quincy, buddy, we got something here, to the time where you – open the doors how much time what are we looking at there let's see uh it was probably about eight nine months okay wow that's yeah. fast yeah so eight nine months um you start spraying the word uh the word gets out there people start coming back to you what did the series of events look like from that point on um you know stupidly i went and signed leases without all the money in i signed guarantees uh i wouldn't suggest doing that that would but I, I didn't know any better, and I was overly confident. Um, I started spending some of the investors' money, hoping that the other money would come in and follow that. I got lucky enough or worked hard enough that that actually did happen. So I'd get down to zero in the bank account, and then I'd get that next investor, and I could keep paying the contractors 
um, and buying the equipment I needed until we got to day one when we had just a little bit of money left in the bank to open the doors and buy some inventory and and go for it. So you wouldn't suggest doing what you did, but that's exactly what you did and it worked out. Yeah. So what was it about what you did that made it work? Uh, I think going back to that, you know, just jumping yeah. and figuring it out. You yeah. know, oh shit, uh, this contractor needs this much money. I don't have this much money. Now I better transition to knocking on more doors and getting more investors. Um, and so I was uh, just playing chess, really, moving all the parts at different times. I mean, some people would say don't do anything until the money's in the bank and you can get yourself in trouble. But at the same time, I think certain people can pull it off and certain people are meant to just start doing it. If they're the right kind of person, yeah, uh, that right kind of person being somebody who others know, like, and trust and believe in, right? Yeah. Um, did you have this reputation? What kind of reputation did you have going into this, starting this out? Um, I think I had a reputation of uh, being diligent or hardworking or creative. Um, so, you know, when a friend, a peer to peer, had something to say about me. I think they probably had some, some positive things to say about me. Um, dumb jokes was involved in that, but I, I don't think that was too negative. <laughs> um, does that answer your question? I think yeah, I might have yeah, got it does. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, so one other thing you mentioned to me, and I think I want to spend a little time here. Um, you said you got to know the identity of the restaurant you're working in. And this is when you're working in someone else's vision, right? Someone else's creation. But now you get to, uh, develop your own identity, your own creation. How much of the Twisted Root Burger Co. was an extension of who you and Quincy are? Oh, 100%. Um, I even, this is a great story. I had a friend come into the restaurant early on. I wasn't there. Um, and then I ran into that friend weeks later, and they said to me, there is a restaurant down there in Deep Elm. It reminds me so much of you. <laughs> I said, that's my restaurant, man. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's so important because uh, I say it all the time. And and the more I interview people like you, the more I feel like I'm really onto something here behind every great restaurant. It's a great person. Right. And like your restaurant should have a, a personality. And when you are a great person and your business is an extension of who you are, why not lean into that? Like why not, how much easier is it to, to walk into a restaurant that is an extension of who you are than versus a concept that you just threw against the wall? Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, and if I can echo that, I would say it's easier when you're just leaning in instead of trying to learn. Um, I could walk in and because it was my place and the way I built it and the way that I wanted it to be, not the way that I thought, you know, some business plan should have been, I could immediately correct wrongs. I could immediately adjust, um, you know, to the way the customers were reacting to it. it what was, did you want it to be? What were you shooting for? What was your vision back then? Yeah, it was a screen door dive that had chefs in the kitchen. So it's changed a little bit and we can get into that. Actually it's changed a lot of it, but in, you know, the seventies all the way up to 2000, you know, great barbecue or great proteins, hamburgers, chicken, a lot of those things were euphemistically, you know, better behind a screen door. 
You know, you knew that there was some local guy who'd been back there. Some old man had been back there for 30 years, and you just knew that he knew he got that brisket down. He got that burger down. He got that fried chicken down. Um, And so I wanted to create that with the trust that there actually was some chef coats in the kitchen. Okay. What about the culture, Uh, the, the kind of place you wanted to create for your employees? I mean, Quincy and I are... I mean, the only time we ever take anything serious is when we have to. Um, and we try not to take it too serious unless we're forced. So we wanted the place to be fun. I mean, that's how we came up. Um, if you don't know, listeners, when you order a hamburger in our restaurant, instead of getting a number, you get a name. So you may be James Bond. And then when you come to pick up the burger, we have to call you James Bond. Your burger's ready. Um, and we try to have as much fun with that as I we was can. Jackie Robinson. We're in. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Great yeah. American. Yes, sir. Um, and so we tried to integrate our personality into every part of the business um, down to the soda machine. We figured out how to manipulate, and I can say this legally, I got past this with Coke, but how to <laughs> manipulate the machine to get our own sodas into the back of it and out the spigot, and we could make weird things like banana root beer and uh and give the customer something that they just never had before nice so you're just having fun um i love it Uh, we almost forgot to tap on the part you said that you had an issue with early investors we totally brought that up and went past it we have to dial back to that so go back to there because i need that nugget yeah and this is something we should talk about because I think every restaurateur will get into this trouble. And it, it boils down to as simple as this. The money will always think they made you. Mm. Um, whether It doesn't matter if it's your ideas, your, everything you created. They will think you wouldn't have got there without their money. And therefore, they will think that they own you. And you will get in a fight with them. I mean, I can come up with 10 ideas that have happened. I mean, 10 of these stories that have happened in Dallas in the last year. um, You will fight with your money. So you have to get that intellectual property um, secured up front. Um, They need to understand you do not get this. You do not get me. You get this restaurant. You get the money that comes out of this restaurant, not me. So how do you separate that intellectual property? What's that process of protecting yourself and your interests? Hire a lawyer, man. You know, just do it. Pay for the money. I mean, I know you're looking at measuring you know, the cost of this grill and the cost of that lawyer. Pay the damn lawyer, man. So what did, what did you do wrong in the situ- situation? Did you not vet your investors well enough? Like, What would you have done differently knowing what you know now? Um, I would have and not got the Mickey Mouse document that I had a, a friend of mine put together. I would have paid the good money up front for a good lawyer who knew what. But did uh, you have that money up front? You didn't even have it. Would, should you work in? Should you charge the investor or at least put like work that into the money you're asking for so you can turn around and then protect yourself from them? Yes. Okay. You should. <laughs> um, and, and it protects them too. I mean, it, it, it protects you from them from you stealing or you creating liability onto them. The document is, it's not one-sided. It's for both people, um, and it has to happen. So it sounds like you were in a situation with your investors. How did you get yourself out of that situation? Man, it was a long, the most stressful 
place I'd ever been in my life for two to three years of legal battle to own myself. To when, when was this? In the time you opened in two thousand six. When did the the, yeah. the it, start, shit it started the as sem- <laughs> it started as quick as a year and a half after I opened. Okay, we opened and within six months we were the hottest. Um, definitely burger joint, but in the top 10 newest re- hip, cool restaurants. Um, so they started to talk amongst themselves. L- you know, look where we got Jason. Look what, look how lucky he is to have us put our money into his business. And so they started working their ways around how they own everything. Hmm. And I had to fight for it. So the brand, basically, they were trying. Yeah. So how do you do you ultimately own the brand today? So what did you yes. do to what advice do you have for somebody who has to fight for their name? Like what things did you do right to protect yourself? Uh, well, I mean, there wasn't anything I did right after that. I mean, I was just catching up from all the things I fucked up on. And so I just had to go down the hard road of sticking up for myself, paying the lawyers. I knew I was right. I knew I'd always intended for it to be this way. Um, and I knew that. Even though there was a lot of shotgun holes they could blow in this document, that the the base of it was still there. I uh, so I really want to make sure I, I had the picture. You said you always intended for it to be this way. What was this way? What were you trying to? Yeah, good, do? yeah, good point. Um, I always intended to own a multi-unit concept. So I knew that I would have investors for this restaurant. I knew that I would have investors for the next restaurant. I knew that uh, investors for the next restaurant until I could afford to own the restaurants on my own. Um, They saw it as, well, now we own you and now we own the brand. So we'll take the restaurant and you can't take on other investors, which essentially kills the business unless they're going to give you more money, um, which they didn't want to do. So someplace in the contract, it, they had protected themselves saying you couldn't go to other investors. Is that what happened? That's what that's the way they saw it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So eventually you worked through this. You were able to retain your brand. Um, how did you recover? Did, well, was there anything to recover from or were you still doing good? The restaurants were still doing well. Yeah. This was more of a, a, a psychological and, and monetary stress uh, on in behind the business that just put me in a bad place so, for a long time. Knowing what you know now, you said you would have hired the lawyers to get these things in place. You know specifically like the, the, the name for the thing that we should do or the thing that should be on our radar to make sure that we can say, did we check that box? What is that thing? Get that intellectual property rights separated in your first restaurant agreement with investors. Bingo. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. So, Moving on, there's so much stuff we could talk about. Um, you had, I know Guy Fieri came in in 2009. I kind of feel bad for Guy sometimes because I feel like he has a lot of flack within within the industry of not really having, garnering the respect from like other chefs. And But you got to think about what this guy has done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. His show has literally put places on the map that they were already on the map, but like the, the, the amount of success that he's brought on to other people because of his success is really kind of incredible when you think about it. I am. It's amazing. Not and to say guy created you, but what I'm saying yeah. is that he helped right when he came through. He helped enormously, and and I would say thank you to him for bringing his show to our to Twisted Root. Um, and we should talk about that a little bit because there Please. is some background yeah. stuff that is is legit. And um, you know, first I would say about guy is 
he's he's not a created personality. A lot of people might think that he invented himself so that he could look cool on TV or sound cool, but that was his personality the whole time. Um, so I think that's just him, and he's just a quirky, funny guy. Um, secondly, the show really vetted us. Um, and we They would not take our phone calls. We would only call them. They... Uh, or we got on their radar because of social media that other people were saying about us. Okay. And they made sure that it, everything that was coming out of us was real. So that's, so that was one of my questions. How did, did they approach you? Did you approach them? Or it sounds like your, your guests approached them. In a yeah. Sense. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, did that just happen or did it you just happen? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just happened. So this was still one location by the time he came around, right? Yep. You were still one location. How long, I mean, did what kind of impact did his show have on the business? My, it tripled my business. Wow. Tripled my business. Now this was in 2009. I've talked to friends that have done the show in like the last two years. And I think the show's lost a little bit of favor or Yelp has diluted its power. Um, so they their businesses jumped ten percent, fifteen percent from the show. Still worth it. Yeah, still worth it. <laughs> yeah. But tripled my business. That's crazy. Um so when did you go from one location to two locations? I'm gonna answer that question with something I tell people all the time. How what does it take to be a good restaurateur? It's you know, preparedness and a lot of luck. So the the luck that came my way was when Guy Fieri came, which that wasn't luck, right? We I built something. I think luck is something that people who are good uh, earn over time, and they slap the name luck on it because they don't know what else to call it. But it's the universe. Like just when you do the good stuff, when you when you show up, when you bust your ass, when you take care of other people, the world has a funny way of repaying you. Um, not, well, to, not to throw you off track or derail your train of thought, but well, if you met my wife, you would definitely say I was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to speak with her. She's very pleasant, but I've not met her in person. Keep going. No, I, I, the, the point of, about luck is when, when the show aired, he came and, and videoed, obviously, and um, it airs four or five months later. I had already been in the process of opening some new restaurants. So by the time his show aired, I had two more restaurants open. That's the luck of it wow. uh, that I had – the place to absorb the the new notoriety, the new customers in now three locations, which is very atyp or untypical for the typical for the standard um, diners, drive-ins, and dives restaurant. So what Guy Fieri told me was, he said, "I'm sorry, Jason." I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "After the show airs, you're going to have a lot of trouble because people will flood your restaurant and you'll have trouble keeping up with that capacity and end up pissing people off, which is what happened to a lot of his early on um uh what would he call them? Uh, restaurants that he that he aired. Um but luckily I had three restaurants to absorb all that and so I was able to put out probably a more consistent product than most of the diners, drive-ins and dives alumni. So how many how long did it take you to, to go from one location to two locations and three locations? Did you open the first, the second and the third like simultaneously? They were uh just a month apart, which was okay. <laughs> don't do that. It was that would those were some flaws due to contractual obligations with landlords and and then uh construction timeline so that that's how they ended up so close but again that 
I won't use the bad word of lucky, but uh, hey. it might have been lucky that it, it, they opened right after the show. Okay, so what were the challenges that you faced because of opening these restaurants so close? The things that you were warning us not to do, what were those specific things? It, it's the same answer that every restaurateur has. People. Mm. People, getting the right people, training the people right, getting the people to stay, getting the people not to steal, getting them to do it. The way you tell them to do it, not the way they want so to do it. knowing what you know now, how would you have done that differently? Assuming Guy Ferry never came to your restaurants. I would have, <laughs> uh, I would have started with a, a training manager earlier. You know, I thought I could do it all myself. I would have hired a head. Um, so what I mean by a head is I would have paid more for my general administration or my management team than would be typical in uh, you know that line item on the restaurant P&Ls of labor I would have I would have blown out my labor number so that I could get those restaurants in better shape quicker does that make sense it does um say it one more time though cuz I want to pull yeah. back some layers yeah so I would have hired a head of the the typical labor cost of a restaurant company, I would have spent more and maybe not taken profits so that I could get the right people, get the right people in the right place, make the restaurants more consistent um, and more humming like machines than me trying to save money and do it myself. Okay. I don't think I need to pull back any layers there. I think you explained it pretty well. Um, so what issues did you run into because you did not take that approach? Did you, was it kind of mayhem for a little bit with three different locations? Yeah. Um, Oh shit. This, so these people didn't show up to work today. Oh, this manager is fighting with this manager. I mean, it's the typical stuff, but I just didn't have enough hands to help me control it all at the time, or at least hands that I really trusted and were preaching my gospel, not their own. Okay. So how did you get from that place where it's kind of a uh, controlled mayhem to, you know, where you had uh, everybody on the same page preaching your gospel on the same systems, processes, procedures? How did you get from that place to, from you're describing before to that controlledness? Yeah. So we opened probably two to three more restaurants, still a little bit of chaos. And then I said, okay, we got to stop. We got to slow down. We have some money in the coffers now to pay off some investors, to hire some more people, to take some more time training slow and down hiring. To speed up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's how we did so it. So how were you prioritizing the things that needed to happen to get to that, that next level? Really, they were prioritizing me. Um, they were, I mean, the things that it was more like whack-a-mole, you know, the thing that was popping up is the thing we attacked the most. most. Urgent, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I do know that you worked with my boy, Matthew Mabel. He was a past guest on the show. I saw that you were one of the, the, the brands that he worked with. At what point did you bring him on? It was in that year that I'm speaking of where we kind of slowed down to, to speed up. Okay. And one thing, you know, one thing I noticed the most successful restaurateurs, the Danny Myers of the world, they all work with consultants. And I think a lot of people think that if you go to a consultant, it means that you don't know what you're doing. But the truth is not everybody knows everything. Right. And there's like the, the, the most successful people in this industry surround themselves with the best. They yeah. go to the consultant. So when did you know it was time to go to a consultant? Well, I always knew I, I started always trying to get help from other people. I never wanted to create the problems myself. I wanted to learn from other people's problems. 
Um, so I was open-minded, and the only reason it took me so long to get a Matthew Mabel was just the cost of Matthew yeah. Mabel. There, that is a real truth, too. Like it's, which is one of, like, not to say anything bad about consultants, but to get the best on your team comes at a price, right? Yeah. So um, how did you validate it? When did you say, okay, it's going to be worth it, and how did you come to those, that, uh, that decision? When you get to five, six, seven, eight restaurants, you start to see um, trends in your numbers, and you try to fix them, and you can't fix them. And you obviously think, well, someone must have figured out how to fix this. So these trends you're talking about, what, what trends were you looking at? Um, I mean, it, I, I don't have one specifically in my head, but just a trend of anything. Our labor's going up, but our output's staying the same. Um, this restaurant can consistently keep their food cost at 26 and all the rest can't beat 29. What is this guy doing? I can't figure it out. Um, it's just it's no things like that. When you get enough data. Yeah. The reason can, why I'm pushing right now is because a lot of people have written me and they say, Eric, go more into the numbers. Oh. But, but to be completely honest, and this is me being 100% transparent, I don't know the right questions to ask half the time because <laughs> it, it's, I, I haven't opened my own restaurant yet. So I'm still learning. So I, that's why I'm kind of curious, like what numbers, what trends, what things should we be like? What's going to trigger something, right? Yeah. Like what should we pay, be paying attention to? Yeah. I mean, I've specifically, I'm still dealing with this. We've kind of settled in that our hourly labor is 17%. Well, that's because that's the model I set up. But what if I missed something in this model? What if someone else came in and said, oh, you should have just put that guy over there and then brought this guy in later? Holy shit, that just dropped my labor a whole percent. That equals $100,000 at the end of the year. Just... There's, Outside perspective can be huge. Yeah, know? absolutely. Um, so what key things did he do uh, that maybe we can try to replicate without dropping the big bucks that you can share with us? Yeah. He did a, something I thought was very important on the management level. He took uh, the Rorschach and some of the other psychological tests of all of my main players in my management company, and we figured out, you know, that certain people were better at certain things. So we shuffled our management team around. You're better at people. You're better at managing minute details. And you're not good as all. You need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> so there, what was the name of this test that he had you guys take? Well, I, I mentioned the Rorschach test. I don't think that's the proper one. But there was two or three psychological tests Um Gosh, they're escaping if, me right now. If I'll, I'll try to throw those in the show notes. Um, maybe during the closing thoughts, I'll, I'll name those. If you can think of them later on, email yeah. me. Um, what else did he do? And and we started, you know, we started seeing flat sales. So what can we do about that? Is it time to raise our prices on our menus? We're not seeing anyone in the market do that. Okay, you know, how can we get? You know, let's work on our PPA. How can we get it up 25 cents? You know, where on the menu is it going to be acceptable for the customer to absorb that 25 cents? Um, what does it mean to the end ticket? Does the end ticket break the $12 or $13 level, which might be a psychological marker for a customer that says, oh, gosh, this place is more expensive than I thought. You know, it's the psychology of eleven ninety nine is cheaper than $12. Yeah. Um, so what things did you learn about how to uh, adjust the prices in certain places to mask the actual thing that's happening? Uh, what, can you share any specifics there? Um, 
there's certain things that people are going to pay for, um, you know, soda, you know, they're probably not, not going to order French fries. Um, but there are additions that they might not want to pay for. And there's also relativity. Um, for example, they will typically get a Horace, a historical reference in their head of what a burger costs, you know, from wherever. Um, it's just, they're, they're past, right? So I kind I think I screwed up by putting a half pound burger out there because that's the highest cost of the burger is the protein, right? But there, no one is saying I get more value out of this burger because this is eight ounces of meat and that one's six and a half ounces of meat. They're just comparing my prices on the menu. Mm -hmm. So I had a reputation for higher price, but if you looked at my food cost and the value, it was actually a lot better. Mm -hmm. But I was losing on that proposition to the customer. So what you're saying is people have an an idea of what a burger costs. And the difference between two ounces or a six-ounce versus an eight-ounce burger is minuscule. Go with what will give you a bigger margin. We'll always go for the bigger margin, but sometimes you want to give up on some margins and and not on others. I would say first understand the customer's perception um, is giving them more meat um, at a greater price going to bring them in or is better price going to bring them in. And if you do give them more meat, you better sure as hell tell them that you're giving them that because the customer won't seek that information out themselves. And you're going to have to tell them 10 times that that's what they're getting. So you stayed with the eight ounce burger. I'm pretty sure. Cause I just saw that on the menu. So you decided, I, I'm, I actually applaud you for not sacrificing on quality. I think that there's too many shitty burger places out there and good for you for sticking with your eight ounce burger. Um, but you said one key thing, I think it's a, it's the the unique selling proposition. Like this is an eight ounce burger. Yeah. So when you do something different and that's something that separates you, you gotta let them know. So what's the best way to let them know? Well, in house, I think is the best way to let them know. They're already there. They've already chosen you. Um, you know, pound them with that message in Where? in the store. Where are you putting it? Um, I mean, I'm still learning this stuff. We we made, we we made videos and we put. Uh, screens behind the cash register of Quincy and I and details. uh, For example, uh, probably the thing I'm most proud of is we have an exclusive ranch uh, called Red River Ranch, and they have, I think, 2,000 head of buffalo. Well, we buy enough buffalo from them that that's all they buy. We're the only purchaser of the buffalo from this guy, and he's local. He's less than 60 miles from us. And we can go up to the ranch and we can shoot the buffalo because uh, we we field harvest the buffalo. So we have a video. I didn't shoot it. I, I, I didn't want to shoot it. <laughs> but the marksman shot the buffalo from 200 yards off and they drive a truck up and they, you know, field dress it right there. That gets on that truck completely cleaned back and and hung for seven days in this, you know, of course, a warehouse and then the entire thing is ground there's there's no value in breaking down all the parts for this guy um the cost of labor to get that uh, buffalo tenderloin out of there is greater than just selling us the whole thing so we just buy the whole thing at eight bucks a pound and and that keeps his labor low and he makes money off of us um no one knows that right 
They're buying. They're buying my buffalo burger at a good price. This burger is two dollars more expensive than the one down the street, but they don't yeah. know the store, the the lengths that you're going to to deliver that quality product. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you got to put it right in front of. You. Yeah. So I put it on a video. We we have a picture of the rancher now on the wall. I, I keep trying to push that message forward. So where you are today, uh, nineteen locations plus you've opened two separate unique locations uh taco avocado wait, tacos and avocados in the barn the, the barnyard truck yard truck yard thank you um when did you know you had the bandwidth to to tackle these new projects how did these new opportunities come to you what what can we draw from that experience you never know if you have the bandwidth you're i keep using the word stupid enough to to think you do and and that's okay sometimes if you think too much like i said at the beginning of the show paralysis by analysis that can very much happen. So some stupidity is good. Um, I have the other fatal flaw of always wanting to do something new. So I'm always thinking of new things to do, and I'm always looking for those new things to do. So I'd had the idea for the outdoor beer garden, not a new idea, but just wanted it under my umbrella the way I wanted to do it for quite a few years and bumped into this location here on Sears Street uh, by accident. But when I walked in the backyard, which by the way, it was a junkyard. It was disgusting. It was horrible. And I walked back there with the landowner and, you know, just golden rays came out of my <laughs> head. Uh, I just, oh, I just had to have it. I saw exactly. Uh, and the landowner thought I was a moron. Uh, why would I want this place? And I snatched it up real quickly. Um, and was able to turn it into my vision. And, and so I didn't know I had the bandwidth. It was more of ego. Like I wanted to do the thing I wanted to do. And here was the opportunity. I better seize the opportunity rather than, okay, I'm ready for my next opportunity. I don't think we're ever necessarily ready, right? Yeah. Because no. you don't know what you don't know. You just go, right? When yeah. you say jump, you just jump and then you figure it out as you go. Um, what is it about you that has enabled you to adapt on the fly like that to all of a sudden, you know, take the leap you're falling, you know, 9.8 meters per second squared. You're accelerating. Things are coming at you. What things like about you have enabled you to handle that? Well, I'm not stubborn. I'm not not stubborn. And as much as I say cocky or confident, I would consider myself, my friends would consider myself a humble guy. Uh, especially in light of my success. I don't even like saying that. How has that served you? It served me wholly because um, I didn't fall in love with my own ideas. The customers told me to change sometimes. Um, When I got up to that brick wall, I didn't stop. I figured out how to go around it. That meant changing some ideas. Um, So I didn't fall in love with my own ideas. Being malleable, being willing to change to to keep the thing going that uh, I don't know how to say this, but you know know what I'm saying, right? Uh, Being adaptable. Um, And if I may, Eric, um, you you do need to change or be adaptable to the situation, but you still have to try and do it within your identity. 
So okay, just because I'm, the customer says, I want Chinese <laughs> food, don't put that on the menu. Yeah, I'm really happy you, you talked about that too, bringing it back to the identity. Because one thing I was going to say to you, when you scale, when you have 19 locations, I mean, when we started, this was an extension of who you are. It was your baby. You were there all the time. How do you adapt while maintaining a certain level of, of identity um, that allows you to still have the same original impact you would have with one or two locations versus 19 locations. What, yeah. what things are you doing there to still have that same charm and personality and uh, character? Yeah, a great question. And the honest answer is it can never be like the first one. You know, the, the first restaurant of any chain is always going to be the, the most personality. Um, but you can, do, you can do some things to keep it. The culture is what you would call it. Um, and Quincy has become our cultural guru. We've kind of let him take that role on and shed himself of other things to do in the business. So we're paying, you know, probably way more than we should for culture because it's not something that's easily measurable. It's easy to hire a, a consultant to fix your labor or you know, to get your PPA up, but to pay someone this much money to keep your culture, it doesn't kind of jive with an accountant. You know, we do that because we knew a personality was a big part of our business. Um, secondly, what we do is we have the theater upstairs, right? And we've done this before we had the theater, but we have quarterly manager meetings. And these meetings are not about don't forget to do this and you better do your inventories every Monday morning. These meetings are about shock and all. That's an example of what we did in our last one. How do we shock and all the customer every day? So they're um, educational meetings in education, not in the boring way in this kind of rah, rah, re way. How do we shock and all people the way that Quincy and I did it in store one, you know, the manager in Mansfield, has never even been to our Deep Ellum store, but he's now seen Quincy and I act on stage and with him and with other managers of how we would talk to a customer, how we would treat a customer. How would you talk to a customer? How would you? Hey, man, <laughs> what's up? Get in here. <laughs> Just like you would your friend walking in your house. I know that sounds cliche, but we never want to be corporate in that. I'm Jason. How may I help you today? It's, I mean, be nice, do it with a smile. Um, and you can say anything you want, as long as it's not about sex, religion. Uh, um, what, what's the other, uh, sex, religion and politics. politics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stay away from those three and be nice and you'll be fine. Which is kind of funny. Cause I think that's where we started when I walked in here. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're not going to tell you which one. So, um, you know, I can, I can, it's happening because I went into one of your locations before coming here. I can't remember. I'm not familiar with the area. I think it was the second location. Maybe, um, sorry, the name, the, the part of town, it does not come yeah. to my head, but I walked in and uh, one of your employees said, Hey man, how you doing? It's been a long time. And I was like, Hey, I was like, this is my first time every year. <laughs> He's like, Oh, you look so much like, and you know, instantly, but like exactly like it was what you're describing, you know, like, good. Good to yeah, hear yeah. So they're doing it. That's good to hear. What, what, if Quincy was here right now, what guru advice would he give us that he shared with you? <laughs> One of his favorite things to say is make it do what it do. Make it do what it do. What does that mean? And I think the uh, interpretation is what you said earlier. Lean into it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, do what it do. It's already there. Now make it work. So how um, do you make sure everybody knows it does what it does? It's it, what it's meant to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's easy for us because it is authentic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now we have to make sure that our staff feels that way. So we do hire for that, too. We're, mm-hmm. we're not always hiring for resume. We make sure that we'll ask in our, uh, in our interviews, give me a good joke. You know, and do they feel comfortable having that kind of interaction with someone? Because that's important to maintain our culture. I like it. Awesome. I can't believe we're already at an hour and seven minutes into this conversation. (laughs) It always goes by so fast. Uh, But I don't want to cut you short. So was there anything that you were hoping to discuss or anything that was kind of, you know, at the tip of your tongue that didn't get a chance to come out that we can drop on the listeners now uh, before wrapping things up and moving to the speed round. Well, you just put me on the spot there. No, I, I, there's <laughs> nothing that I thought um, I need to tell the people out there this. Um, if there was, I think we got to it. You know, my Anytime I have a, a young restaurateur sit at this table and go, what should I do? I've already mentioned it, you know, get the lawyer, you know, find your identity and, and really stick to your identity. Um, if you're going to grow in this capacity, grow forward with your management before you need the management. Mm. Get ahead of that curve because that could that could spin your business on the downward cycle. And, and getting a business to come up is a lot harder than maintaining a, 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 a well-oiled machine. This is one question I want to start asking all my guests. And uh, the, the mission statement of this podcast is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry uh, by making an example and sharing the knowledge of people like you. So how have you transformed since 2006? Who are you today versus who you were there? I'm sure you're the same person, but how have you evolved? And what, what ways are you better? Yeah, Um I have, I'm not actually better. I'm worse. I think <laughs> I, I think I'm worse because I'm less optimistic because, you know, the uh, you, you've run into so many um, people problems, both customers and employees that you start to get jaded and you really have to to perk yourself up. And, you know, you need to surround yourself with good people so that those don't bring you down. And if I may, I, I did want to talk about you brought up something that's special to me. The very first, uh, I, I hired six people in the very first restaurant. One of them is still with me today. Wow. He's a manager at one of the restaurants, and he fucked up the other day, and he forgot to pay his insurance, and he got in a bad car wreck. He didn't hurt himself, but it became financially strapping for him. I paid for it, man. I paid for it out of my own pocket, and it wasn't a cheap. It, it was painful. It wasn't easy for me to do it, but it made me feel good. It's this kid is a good person. I've seen him go to college. I've seen him get married, have two kids, and is still this just good person. And I kind of needed to remind myself that the, there are those good people around me by taking care of this kid in his bet, his, in his, in his rough situation. So I don't know. What's the, do you still believe in luck? <laughs> I do. I do. I still believe in luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's, you know, part of the mission of this podcast, like I said earlier, behind every great restaurant is a great person. And we're here to make not just an example of your knowledge, but of your business ethics, of your moral standards. And that's a great example of what I'm here to do. So thank you for sharing that. And I mean, what is the big takeaway from that thing, from that story you shared us? 
shared with us. I mean, it, it gave me energy again, you know, that, you know, you run into a bad customer that's, you know, I'm going to sue you on the email all yeah. day. And then, but then here's Ben in a place of need. Oh, hi, Ben. Um, and I wanted to help him out and it made me feel good to help him yeah. out. And, you know, I went home a happier guy that day. So, you know, treating your, sometimes treating your team like family is a true statement. I love it, man. Great stuff. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there if you listen to restaurant unstoppable i'm sure you've heard me say it before but i'll say it again there are two things that you need to let determine your growth the first thing that's people the second thing that's cash flow and we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because i'm working with cashflowtool.com the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business cashflowtool.com is simple powerful and predictive it's simple because it requires no data entry it's always up to date and it works on any device anywhere it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar activity feed and anomaly detector you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises and it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success you cannot say luck empathy <laughs> empathy what is your biggest weakness pride what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process Tell me a time when you turned around a negative customer. What are you looking for? I'm looking for them to hear the customer, uh, satisfy their need, and then hopefully turn them. I think it's the best opportunity to make someone into what I call an evangelist of your business. Beautiful. Uh, what is your biggest challenge currently? People. How are you dealing with that challenge? Lots of HR young people. <laughs> um, Get into detail. 
Uh, I recently hired a new young HR person who listens to the people. And, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of 19 to 25-year-olds. So I do need someone that's a little more in touch with their side or their view on things. So I think that helped. Beautiful. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? This is a way to be, a way to act, a core value, if you will. Smile, smile, treat other people like you want to be treated when you come in here. Nobody cares that, hi, I'm John. I'll be helping you. What's up, man? I'm Good to see you again, like you mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> that was really fun. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Um, to josh with people when you can. To mess around with them. Um, when I say mess around, um, a baseball team come in, came in, and uh, if you didn't win, well, hey, we're real sorry that these guys lost their game, but they got at least a good – uh, choice in food. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Oh gosh. Uh, the last book I read, um, was the one by Louise or not by Louis Zamperini about Louis Zamperini unbreakable. Um, so that, I don't know if that made me a better person, but it certainly relieved my stress as I got lost in the book. What was the the key takeaway from that book? Perseverance. I dig it. Uh, if there was one tool or resource you wish you had now or wish you had when you were getting started to, I don't understand this. This question is something every time I try to read it, I struggle with it. Maybe I should just take it off. Um, what is, I'm just going to say it over <laughs> or maybe I fuck it. I'm skipping it. Oh, uh, <laughs> What is one thing that you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? That's a good one, man. Um, they don't do well enough or often enough. Sit in their own restaurants. I mean, you get caught in the details and you get your blinders on. Um, sometimes you should just get out of the kitchen or get out of the office and go sit in your restaurant and just listen and watch the people and watch your staff and feel the energy of the place. Now, do most people recognize you when you come in? Um, not most, but uh, it does happen a lot. Um, uh, so I might have to hide if I'm doing that. But <laughs> What's one thing that uh, you've discovered or one thing that you've picked up on because you've done that? I mean, just the temperature of the restaurant. Uh, it's something as simple as that. Like, wow, I'm kind of uncomfortable after 10 minutes of being here which you certainly wouldn't measure in the office or yeah. in the back of the house. As simple as that. Got you. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a positive impact on operations, profitability, communication, something like that? that Kitchen display screens. Kitchen display screens. How I mean, has that helped your bottom line in your business? Well, one, it amazingly dropped my food costs a half a percent. And the only way that me and the CFO can figure it out is – the kitchen display monitors are reducing errors, so we're not throwing as much out. Um, uh, and that, so that's uh, positive on um, the back of the house or P and Ls. But the positive to the customer is we are moving a little bit quicker, so we're getting the food to the table maybe forty five seconds quicker. What's one company that you're? What's the company you're using to to go through to to get this kitchen display? Is it through your POS? It is through our POS. Um, yeah, which is 
Oh God, they're going to hate me for not saying this. Uh, I'll have to tell you afterwards because I can't remember. You no, know, and I know because I was just. Oh, looking you do. At okay, it. what was it? Uh, it was something I never heard of before. Yeah, it, say it because something POS. POS is in the name. Oh, it's on the. Yeah. Crap! They're going to hate me. I still want the discount. <laughs> so wait, why are you getting the discount? Because of the the, the, the amount of restaurants? You yeah. Have? Okay. Um. Oh, now, does somebody out there know? Yeah. I'll put a break in this and we'll okay. get the answer. Do you want to go run and find yeah. out? Yeah. All right. So what, what did we find out? Well, I had to go talk to some people out there that are smarter than me. Um, <laughs> Brink POS. We switched over to them a year and a half ago, and it has been a, a very positive change. So I do give them kudos. The system is more intuitive to the 19-year-old who has to get on the cash register after two days of training, they, they get it quicker than some of the other POSs I've had. What sold you on that platform? What was it that – I mean, there's a lot of options today. So integration um, with POS's potential – I mean, with the KDMs, integration with uh, future phones or, and, uh, and um, accounting software. All right. This is the last question. It's a doozy, and I almost always get an eye roll when I ask it, so get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success uh, that you leave behind for the good of humanity, for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? The things you know to be true. <laughs> um. Don't sell yourself too much on your own idea. One. Be on the right side of things. You get into negotiations with everything. And, you know, sometimes you can push it too far to try and win that negotiation. Are you really winning? You're getting more stress and taking advantage of anybody. It just doesn't feel good. So I'd rather lose a little bit every time and feel like myself. And it always comes back around, you know, when you have other people's interests, I feel like at first it doesn't feel like it, but you don't even know when it comes back around, but it comes back around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did I cut you short? Sorry. Nope. <laughs> that was okay. So we have, uh, don't settle or don't be caught up on your own idea. I don't think that's exactly what you said. Be your, on your, on the right side of things. What's the third Don't forget about your relationships outside of the restaurant. You need to separate yourself from this or you will go crazy. So go have drinks with your friend and don't talk about the restaurant at all. <laughs> this has been a great conversation, Chef Jason and Bo. So we wrap up every conversation by calling someone out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today i really respect uh elias pope uh, a good buddy of mine and uh, a restaurateur next door to me down here on greenville he sees um what the people want and is not afraid to go after it um outside of what an accountant might tell you to do he really goes for uh, an experience for the customer at all costs and maybe he'll lose sometimes on that but he'll certainly win sometimes beautiful this has been a great conversation if we want to maybe come join your team come work for you learn from you what's the best way to connect maybe we just want to follow you on social media yeah um, and we're on all those social media things that start with w's um but uh yeah the website um we're always looking for good people just get on there we've got a come work for us tab 
Um, and if you can tell us a good joke, we want you to come work for us. And that's Twisted Root Burger co.com i'll have the link in the show notes this is episode 556 jason bozo thank you again for taking the time to share your story your knowledge your mentorship there is no questioning my man you are unstoppable (laughs) cheers All right, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurants Unstoppable, Chef Jason Boso. What a great conversation, and thank you just so much for opening up, getting real, diving into some of the hard questions, and uh, really shining some great light on your success and how you got to where you are today. I think the big takeaway for me, a couple big takeaways, you know, be yourself, know your identity, know who you are, and then create a brand that's an extension of who you are, what your values are, and it makes just showing up to work that much easier. I also love the idea of just jump, just go, and you don't have to have all the answers uh, but you do have to be humble. You do have to be open to what people suggest and you do have to surround yourself with the people that can humble you to, to, to set you on the right path and to, to correct your mistakes. Uh, also some really good advice too around, you know, protecting yourself, um, being careful who you go into business with, um, Don't just take the money. Find the right investors. And even when you think you have the right investors, do your due diligence. Uh, Get things in writing to protect yourself. And maybe I can get a lawyer on the show. Uh, If you guys know of a lawyer that might be able to help me with getting specific content around this, that would be great. Also, I I dove into the numbers today. I started asking more questions about the numbers we need to know. And uh, Jason handled that really well. And if you guys, um, you know, I'll be honest, like... I don't really know the numbers well. Like that's not my strong suit. I've never been a numbers guy, which was probably why I shy away from asking those questions more often. But if you guys have some specific questions around numbers that you want me to start asking, shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Uh, and just shoot me an email with any questions, concerns, ideas. I'm receptive. I'm, I listen to those emails. I read those emails. So do send them to me. Uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. Uh, but the best way to support this podcast is by sharing it. Uh, help me spread the mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry by making sure Everyone and anyone you know who's aspiring to be great in this industry knows about Restaurants Unstoppable. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.